Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Streets Ahead, your festive podcast, bearing gifts in one giant, COVID-safe, socially distanced, pedal-powered Wagon. I'm Ned Bolting. I'm Laura Laker. And I'm Adam Tranter. Right, that's got that business out of the way. As you've guessed it, this time we're talking about cargo bikes. What the reindeer wish Santa had. And I think we can credit Laura with writing that particular line in the script. Um, today, Bad jokes is my department. <laughs> today we have Ben from Pedal Me, those big uh, cargo and uh, taxi bike services that you, if you've particularly lived in London or visited London recently, you'll have seen, no doubt, out and about. And in September, just before lockdown two arrived, uh, Laura also interviewed Jim Blakemore from Bike Works in East London. So that's all to come, but uh, it would be remiss of me if I didn't start by asking all of you what you've been up to, Adam. Oh, well, I've... um... I've been carrying things by cargo bike. That's been a that's been a thing. We can we can talk about that. Um, and trying to uh, well trying to do my my day job and also trying to keep an eye on the the kind of craziness that has been around all um, all this the cycle lanes and and this apparent mm. culture war which is being invented because it doesn't exist. Um, so I found all that very fascinating, but also quite consuming. So um, you know when I'm out pedaling on my cargo bike. It, feels um it feels quite nice to get away from it all yeah i know what you mean laura how have you managed to detoxify your um online life and indeed your working life and get away from the culture wars um well epping forest has become increasingly muddy so yesterday i went for a bike ride and at one point my back wheel was just turning there was no there was no traction whatsoever and i was slowly creeping forward it was like I don't know. It was like I'd got a loose fan belt or something. Um, I did the, we did the active travel media awards. It feels like ages ago now, but it was only like a couple of weeks ago, I think. Um, which is amazing. Otherwise just been trying to get out walking on my bike, winding down from what's been a crazy year and 
yeah, trying to get some, uh, I don't know, just trying to stay sane. Yeah, I think that's a priority for all of us. I think it's also <laughs> might be a battle that I'm losing um, at the moment. I appear to be sort of like almost manacled to my desk up here in this in our spare room that you always see me uh, zooming you from. Um, and I've been disappearing into various kind of wormholes of research, uh, which have been great, actually. The resource I've discovered, which I really recommend to anyone who's interested in almost anything, um, is the online uh, archives of the French National Library, um, which is free to use, (laughs) free to use, and has just the biggest um, imaginable uh, resource of every French newspaper. You you obviously have to speak French a bit. Um, uh, Every newspaper that's ever been published in France, basically. And uh, that's a lot. Um, going back in time, and I've been, I've been just spending days sifting through them, and I. Th- this is vaguely relevant because I, I stumbled across a um, quite a short-lived publication that lived briefly in the early years of the twentieth uh, century in Paris called La Pédale, the pedal, and it was uh, like a little. Um, it, uh, let's think of it as an early kind of ruler. It featured, you know, essays and quite wow. aspirational things like that um, uh, in the sort of interwar years, really. And um, I stumbled across this little paragraph that I thought you'd quite like, um, because mostly they write about the sport of racing, but it, but that's not all they write about. Um, so they say this, Nous affirmerons que le sport de compétition, s'il offre un puissant intérêt, n'est pas tout le cyclisme. We affirm that the sport of competition, even though it offers a um, a powerful interest, is not all cycling is. Um, there is in France at the moment, there are in France six million bicycles, six million cyclists. Um, the proportion is tiny of those who, from the six million, actually ever race their bikes. What do the others do? They use their bikes as a means of locomotion. <laughs> there I we thought, go. I, I'm, I, thought that I was endorse a, this message. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was nice. To, it was nice to read that that sentiment that we've been kind of talking about for months and months and months, echoing through a hundred years of history, and here we are, <laughs> still fight, <laughs> still are, fighting yeah. the same battles. Yeah. Are they t- talking about the entire French population now? How many people live in France during the interwar? Or how many people lived in France? I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. Mm. It does seem quite a modest number, actually, doesn't it? Six million. But I suppose the bike was still fairly new back then and, um, you know, still quite rudimentary. The big technological advances were still to come and the the real age of mass production, I think, was still a, a little way off. Um, or was just beginning. I, I'm no, I'm no big historian of the bike, so um, I, I don't know. But yeah, you're right. Six million. You wrote, didn't you write a book about it? You, you sort of wrote. I suppose it was British Not, cycling, wasn't it? Was it? About, uh, yeah, and it was about people who ride bikes rather than what they sit yeah, on. Fine. Which I think, as I've said before, is I'm way out of my depth. As soon as anyone talks about anything technical, really, I just don't, I don't understand any of it particularly. Well, I'll have you know that James Starley, the father of the bicycle industry from Coventry started uh, the Coventry Sewing Machine Company and then got a Velocipede from France and thought, I can do better than that, and ah. created the Penny Farthing. Uh, and that's uh, sort of how the UK and world cycle industry kind of started, really. Uh, oh, there we go. So, yeah. There we go. So, but we're a long way here from talking about what we're focusing on today, which is the cargo bike, isn't it? Um, the, well, we, we are and we aren't, Ned, because um, I, I was just looking the week uh, this week uh, on social media, as I often do, and um, there was a great thread, a point being made that cargo bikes are not new. Um, and of course, anyone who's seen like the Pashley 
butcher bike and and even before that people have been carrying stuff on bikes since there were bikes and um i just thought that was fascinating to see the kind of contraptions that people had and the stuff that had been uh, carried in those contraptions oh actually we were going to ask we were going to ask each other weren't we what, what's the weirdest thing what's the strangest thing you've ever carried by bike laura i bet you i bet this is going to be good Oh, I'm trying to think. I have, I think, um, I've carried a, I carried a bike frame on a bike. Um, so, uh, Tony Farrelly from Road CC, the cycling website who I've written for for many years, um, he actually gave me a bike frame last year or the year, I think it was last year. And I cycled along the uh, Avon and, uh, the Kennet and Avon Canal to Bath and picked up this bike frame and I brought loads of like packing pockets with me. And I, I basically, I cycled that. I didn't actually cycle at home. I took it back on the train, but I carried a bike on a bike, which is now my adventure bike. I remember once um, snapping a chain uh, at Shepherd's Bush roundabouts. And I don't know if you've ever snapped a chain. Um, it's quite a violent thing to do. And it's quite surprising because suddenly no, your haven't. legs, your legs just kind of like spin through thin air, really surprisingly. Um, so I got quite a shock out of that and jumped off and I was in the middle of the Shepherd's Bush roundabout. And then I pushed my bike in a state of shock all the way to Hyde Park, just walking, thinking, how am I going to get home now? And then I passed a row of, um, of Santander, but higher bikes, you know, and I, I got my key out <laughs> and I thought, well, at least this will get me to to Charing Cross. So I jumped on a higher bike and then had my knackered bike as a kind of, you know, when horses, you know, ride in tandem and you've got one mounted horse and one just loose. So I kind of like shackled it up and, and the, our two bikes rode down to, to Charing Cross. Oh, no and the only other thing that occurred to me is quite often I've used my bike in the past as uh, like a makeshift um, trolley. And even though I haven't, oh, yeah. I haven't ridden it, I have sort of carried Christmas trees, quite, Christmas trees quite often back oh. from the shop, you know, <laughs> using my bike as a, as a trolley. That's, they sometimes come in handy for that. But I sense Adam is going to trump us both. Yeah, wow. Adam's got a weird one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I try and carry lots of stuff. Bikes is obviously one of them. Um, it's a really good way to do it. I did You've a Christmas a tree bike. the other day. Yeah, yeah, I've got two. Well, um, uh, yeah, my, well, me and my wife have have, have one because um, we end up like arguing over having one between two. So um, fortunately, we've got got one each now, and that means we don't we've got one less car as well. So it all kind of makes sense. Um, I had my weirdest cargo bike experience probably this week. Actually, um, I wanted to do the the most basic of civil tasks, which was go to the recycling center, go to the tip. Um, and I hadn't been to tip in ages. Um, and I looked online and, and went through the system it says you've got a book. So I was like, oh, okay, I can understand it's COVID. They want to keep max, you know, maximum amount of people at any one time. Went to go online and it's like, oh, can you enter your car registration number, please? And I'm like, oh, no, because I don't have a car on me at the moment. I, I don't have access to one. So I'm coming on my cargo bike. So I just wrote bicycle uh in the cargo bike for in the form um for car and then um i had to tick a box underneath it says i confirm i will be arriving in a car uh and i thought this is really odd so i um i, I registered and then i rang up the council and they spoke to someone who spoke to someone and i got a phone call back an hour before i was due to go saying we can confirm you can arrive by bicycle um of which i did so i took i went with all my rubbish in the back my um, recycling on the front and people looked at me like I was a wizard or something. They were like, wow, I've never seen <laughs> I that I mean, little before. did they know you are a wizard, Adam. 
Um, but I was like that kind of cargo bike riding because if you if you know about and if you know about cycling or you've been to certain countries and 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 you've seen people ride cargo bikes, uh, you kind of get it. But when you're when when it's like literally the first thing people have ever seen like that, they they just don't know how to compute it. It's it's actually quite amazing that we've. Um, we, we assume a bicycle is a certain type of thing and actually you see something that's not like that. It's like, whoa, um, which, yeah. which is nice. It's nice. It's a talking yeah. point. It's a good talking point. It is. And people, I've got a friend with a cargo bike, actually not an electric one. It's like a um, three wheeler. So it's got the box at the front, two wheels at the front and you sit over the back wheel and he is a musician and he carries his double bass around with him. Massive thing. And he's kind of rebuilt this box and put like some padding where the thing can rest. And he drive, he rides like across town. We, he's in East London like me and he rides right into the West End with it. It's incredible. He must be very strong, but I've borrowed it a couple of times and I've picked up a rug and I've got my Christmas tree home last year on it as well. And you do feel quite smug. And also people give you loads of space on the road because they're a bit confused about what, you, what it is. <laughs> smug cyclist, Laura. You're conforming to too many stereotypes there. So, <laughs> but by your own confession. But um, I, I remember... The first time I kind of, because you're right, Adam, it's, you know, in lots of cultures and countries around the world, this is quite a commonplace and unsurprising thing. Yet, yet we're only just kind of embracing it. And I, I think they first came to my attention as a thing that you saw occasionally on the street, maybe 10 years ago or something, where I started to see quite a lot of, I think they're called Christiania bikes, aren't they? The, the ones that yeah. for transporting little kids on the front and yeah. um, in those boxes. And I've always assumed, I don't know if... You guys probably know, but I've always assumed that they were developed in the um, anarchist sub-state of Copenhagen, <laughs> Chris Christiania. You know, the place that was, I've always imagined, maybe it's rubbish, maybe it's just a, a brand, but it'd be interesting. Do you know the answer to that? Maps, maybe, maybe some of our I don't know, but I like were. the idea of someone just with like a, a welding machine and some old bike parts yeah. and like a big... I don't know, like a crate or something, just sort of building this thing and being like, Meh. it'd be the most Christiania yeah. thing in the world, wouldn't it? Uh, like, yeah, <laughs> I can, I can confirm, I can confirm to you that they, um, they are uh, from there. Um, I oh, think brilliant. Uh, there's, yeah, it's a Danish uh, manufacturer been doing it since 1978 and cargo since 1984. Of course, it's 1978. I reckon Christiania <laughs> in 1978 must have been the smelliest place on the planet, <laughs> but a hive of creativity, often marijuana induced, I would imagine. <laughs> Possibly. We can comment. Um, I, um, I would like to know from our resident policy expert and Laura of what, 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 what's, What's going on with cargo bikes? What what stuff is there out there? There's been some grants, hasn't there? There's been some, you know, some subsidies as an encouragement of being using in the construction industry. What what's um, what's going on? What isn't going on is the question. Um, yeah, loads of things. So the I think it's been a kind of a year for cargo bikes. I think COVID has kind of accelerated. It's one of those things that's been going along for ages and people who believe in them and have seen them working elsewhere have kind of been plugging away at this idea in the UK and it's just never quite taken hold. It's like a bit of a niche thing. People still look at them and think, and that's a bit weird. But um, last year we had the government's first £2 million e-cargo bike grants, which um, covered 20% of the cost of the cargo bike um, up to... Uh, up to thousand pounds per bike, 
Um, and they're obviously more expensive than that, but that was really popular, not very well publicized, but uh, very popular. And that ran until March this year. When you, sorry, um, Laura, when, when you say they're obviously a lot more expensive than that, what, how mm. much were we talking about? How much are they, Adam? I don't actually know how much a cargo bike. Electric think cargo ranges. bikes are, are very um, are very expensive, uh, prohibitively expensive as well, which is why I think uh, uh, certainly for consumers, uh, an e-bike subsidy uh, is 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 really important. Um, you can, of course, get um, what you know non-motorized um, uh, cargo bikes. The um, the back feats, uh, which is another kind of classic design box bike at the front. Uh, is around eighteen hundred pounds. Christiana starts at around fifteen hundred pounds. Um, they are fairly um, fairly expensive, I guess, but they um, you know they they are great tools. I would say yeah, just they for hold their value, this, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do hold their value, and I would say for anyone that just thinks that listen to this because I, I I think it's important that we provide a, a range of options it's it's very hard to um sounds like the QVC like shopping channel doesn't it but uh, it's QVC now it's music isn't it um anyway uh the um the <laughs> so I just totally lost it I don't know I don't know I don't watch TV um the Royal Mail bikes that used to be um, uh, used by the Royal Mail, made by Pashley, um, you can get hold of those now, totally refurbished. And for everyone you buy, they give one to charity. They're called elephant bikes, and they're a couple of hundred quid. So if you're looking at something that will just carry loads of stuff that isn't quite a cargo bike, and you've got a couple hundred quid, then that's a, a really good option. But they are quite you know, expensive for full dedicated cargo bikes, which are quite hard to get secondhand uh, as well. Yeah, it's got like a... Yeah, yeah. so there's all sorts, and, they, and it ranges... Yeah, it's quite a sort of big range, isn't it? Um, so these, the cargo bike grant was for businesses. Um, and then after that, um, there was another 2 million grant, but this time it was for local authorities uh, that covered 20% of the cost. Um, it was really, really popular. Apparently like 60 local authorities went to some webinars trying to find out about it. Like 40 of them put in bids, only 18 got the money. Uh, and that was from Birmingham, Colchester, Plymouth, Sheffield, all over the country, up to 200 grand each. Um, loads of cargo bikes, hundreds of cargo bikes and a few trailers and there's some for organisations as well. And I think they're evaluating that at the moment. Um, but yeah, this year has just been a bumper year for cargo bikes. I think I was speaking to someone from Zedify earlier and they're a sort of national franchise and they run... Um, cargo bike deliveries for different companies in in towns and cities all over the UK and maybe one of the bigger ones and um, they were saying that at the beginning of lockdown everything just went flat the business to business stuff that they were doing just went as everyone stopped going to work but then they picked up all these deliveries taking stuff from local businesses to their customers and so that's become a huge part of their business now and I think some of their um warehouses have like doubled the amount of turnover they're doing off the back of that. And obviously things are going to change as stuff goes forward and people maybe go back to normal at some point. But um, I think a lot of those uh, shopping habits are going to, are going to stick around. Um, so yeah, it, the feeling that I get is that it's, it's kind of now this momentum that wasn't there before is now picked up. So yeah, people are starting to get it. I mean, there are, uh, there are some interesting problems along the way that I, uh, that I've encountered. In fact, maybe, you know, we can, we can talk to our guest about this, Ben, when we, when we talk to him, but, um, so I, you know, one of the, one of the things I'm involved in is a, a little cottage industry where we have a product that we ship 
across the world actually, but most of it is uh, across the UK. And as soon as I kind of discovered Pedal Me, I was very keen with our partners in this company that we use them. Um, but we are, you know, we're hooked into a a deal with a um, distribution firm that has another contract with various different, mm. you know, conventional, if you like, um, delivery services, um, which isn't so easy to unpick because, you know, I can't ask Pedal Me, I don't think, to deliver a bike to Car, uh, a, a book in this case to Carlisle, but I can to, to, to Putney, you know. Um, mm. And so there is some sort of, I think, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if quite a lot of businesses like the little one that I'm involved in have a similar issue that, you know, they have a mm. one size fits all kind of distribution contract yeah. that's quite hard to break into smaller yeah. parts. You know, I wonder if that's a, an yeah. issue. I guess um, with, with like a national, if there were a sort of national companies in the way that you've got uh, the kind of DHLs of this world that they would obviously not be cycling to Carlisle, but they would have the sort of vans yeah. and lorries and then they yeah. drop them off at sort of depots. But yeah, I guess, I guess something like um, Zedify that now has these kind of hubs in different places. I think they've got one in Edinburgh, uh, Norwich, uh, somewhere that you like. And um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So yeah, there's a certain amount of cities, but it's definitely not, a, there's no kind of network yet. And that's, that's definitely something that's, that's needed if, yeah. What we are seeing actually is um, some of the bigger logistics companies exploring this as well. I just saw a, a story this week um, uh, about uh, Amazon taking some considerable space in the city of London as a kind of last mile distribution yeah, hub right. via, via yeah. cargo bikes. And, and actually companies like DHL and, and um, uh, uh, yeah, other companies, TNT is another one, um, have been using uh, deliveries by, by bike. And I think it's about using the right tool for the job, isn't it really? Um, you know, getting from London to Carlisle is going to take a, a lorry and we should, you know, totally accept that that's totally normal. But it's Yeah, I when, don't think Ned did think that someone was going to cycle there just to be... I wasn't sure if he knew how it worked. Um, but, <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but once you get into a, li a little uh, a, a city, then of course you it seems mad that you'd be using, and sometimes you are using trucks of that size or at least seven and a half tonners to do, to do drop-off deliveries in, in city centres. And that just seems, that seems uh, a bit silly, um, which is where cargo bikes can come into completely agree but then there's but then there's the then there's well this is all stuff i'm sure we should talk to ben about really but it strikes me just setting the parameters of it there's there's an there are an awful there's an awful lot of the population that either either lives in in villages no village at all just in isolated or in uh, small towns that are actually quite a long way from a big population base or certainly a, an unfeasible to cycle sort of distance um, because yeah. it would take so, so there I, I don't know what percentage of population lives in in places that aren't in cities that would justify the creation of a hub you know I don't know there is um there is a, a semi-rural one actually is that there? I discovered right yeah mm. on um on my yeah sort of going around the internet so um there's one in called Cargodale which is in Calderdale which is about 17 miles from Manchester so it's like semi-rural and someone who's a transport consultant, she's called Beata, she basically hired a cargo bike at the beginning of lockdown, rounded up some friends and then they started doing deliveries in April. They did like 99 deliveries in the first 11 days. Um, they've expanded to Halifax and Hebden Bridge and they're still going. And yeah, it's been a real success story actually. So it is possible. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think 
it's worth looking rather than doing it that way around is, is, um, cause that's the equivalent of, of people saying, Oh, well, I won't be able to do that. Cause I've got to take my gran every second Thursday to the, to the, to the doctors. We should looking at where you can do this stuff. And 84% of the UK, uh, is in, uh, is an urban area is within a kind of urban area. So 84%. Um, yeah. That's yeah, a lot yeah. more than I thought it that's would be. That's a yeah. huge amount more than I thought. Mind you define urban area, I suppose. Well, yeah. I think I, 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 I doesn't count cities, but it account it, it, it accounts for built up uh, right. areas, um, yeah. not countryside. Mm, okay. um, so a lot of us do live near cities mm. or in cities. Um, Fair so enough. there we go. Um, before we get way out of our depth with uh, cargo bikes, <laughs> that, that uh, we ages ago. <laughs> <laughs> I did, <didn't> <laughs> um, we we should welcome uh, our guest. Uh, ben Knowles, uh, who's one of the co-founders of Pedal Me. Um, for those that haven't seen Pedal Me yet in in London, Ben, could you give us a quick 101 on what it is that the company does and and um, the kind of size and scale? Yeah, hi, I'm Ben Knowles. I'm a writer and chief exec at Pedal Me. Um, Pedal Me is a cycle logistics company. We have very large cargo bikes and we do jobs with those bikes that you wouldn't necessarily have thought were possible to do by bike. So we have very highly trained staff um, riding these very, very large bikes, which are very carefully maintained. And that allows us to move much bigger things by bike than you might traditionally have thought possible. We also carry people. We carry unaccompanied kids to school. We carry patients to hospital. That seems to be a big one at the minute. Um, we have quite a unique culture, which supports everything that we do. So, um, every person within the company is trained to ride a bike. Um, and that's really critical for supporting the kind of culture that we need where the riding the bike always comes first. Uh, so when it's hammering it down with rain, the service keeps on operating. Excellent. Uh, um, ben, it's Ned Ned Bolting here, not Alfred Jarry, as it says on my little uh, name thing here. Um, uh, there's a bit of a background story to that, but this podcast isn't long enough for me to tell it. Um, uh, I just, so, but that's really interesting. I'd love to hear some of your sort of like, what can you carry stories? Because I'm sure you've got plenty of them. But presumably most of your business is stuff that isn't kind of, um, uh, is more... Ordinary is kind of like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. That's an appropriate, you know, so most, most of the things are just large amounts of small items, I guess. Right. Um, we do do a certain amount of very large numbers of small items. So we do things like, uh, we go and collect, uh, 500 boxes of flowers from Hounslow. We bring them into central London on trailers and then we, we distribute them out, but we do also do a lot of, uh, very big, stuff so one of the things we do is we resupply the line bikes in london so we carry uh 25 or 30 of their batteries out with us and go around and charge them up and that's really important because we're helping them decarbonize their operation so we're uh traditionally um shared bikes um, their CO2 emissions have ended up being surprisingly high for what they do because they are so dependent on motor vehicles to do the resupplying of batteries and moving the bikes around and things like that. Moving to using cargo bikes is much more carbon efficient. Um, and yeah, it works, it works really nicely. So, um, 
just to give you an, an idea of how much more CO2 efficient our bikes are, one of our bikes can carry, can cover 300,000 kilometers uh, on the CO2 that's embedded in um, the manufacture of an electric vehicle. It's a huge, huge difference in the amount of um, CO2 that's emitted. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe a case of gin. You know, we do lots of deliveries for of beer and gin and and whiskey and all sorts. Um, so maybe a case of gin is only 10 kilos, I guess. Um, we carry lots of them. And sometimes we send our own trailer up there and ride away with 30 k- cases of whiskey at a time. Not for our own consumption, sadly. <laughs> A lot of booze, basically. It's surprising about the beer, actually. I was um, I was surprised about that. I think last time I, well, not last time I spoke to you, I just, I remember speaking to you a year ago and almost a year ago, I think it was the beginning of 2020 and you had 37 bikes at the time. You were covering 20,000 miles a, a month. What are you now? Yeah, I don't, I don't have the latest statistics on how much mileage we're doing uh, by month, but at the minute... Uh, we have 56 bikes, so it's substantially bigger. Um, our expansion has slowed quite a lot because of COVID. So there's been a huge economic disruption. Um, and a lot of our work originally was business to business work. And that market, obviously all the businesses shut. So something like 95% of our normal workload all went away and we had to generate new markets and, uh, find new ways to be useful, basically. Um, and the main way we did that was that we moved to doing a lot of home deliveries, which is quite a lot more technically demanding. Um, but it's been good in some ways because um, I think it's we were always going to go that way. And that was always going to perform a, a part of our work in the in the long run. Um, and it's just forced us to do the uh, tech development to allow that to happen a little bit earlier in the piece. Yeah, I, so sorry, Adam. I just just to pick up on that. It's not really a question, rather than it's just a little comment. Actually, I I applied for a job with you in um, April or May or something like that, and I think your website just said that you're chocker at the moment and you weren't taking anyone on. So I felt very snubbed um, and very disappointed actually because I fancied a bit of that. But um, but it obviously, I think you were obviously affected by everybody else in the cycling industry in terms of supply chains and stuff just freezing up, and uh, that must have limited your your growth opportunities. But anyway, listen, I've interrupted Adam with his brilliant points that I'm sure he's about to make. Oh well, I was going to say um, you shouldn't hire you shouldn't hire Ned because he crashes his bike and That's he take, has to take <laughs> yeah, time <I'm> off. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, but no, I was going to say that you, you obviously mentioned the green angle, which is obviously appealing to a lot of businesses. Um, but actually, it's not. It's obviously not just that, is it? Because in in London where you operate, it's going to be time uh, as well because of the time it takes to stop and park a van and walk and you know, all of that stuff. And then the cost, I guess, as well, because, you know, I think delivery drivers are constantly getting tickets, vans are expensive to run, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, uh, you know, what's what's the comparison, I guess, for, for cargo bikes versus the conventional method in terms of efficiency and then cost, I guess? Yeah, it's, it's hard to give a direct answer because it, ver- it varies quite a lot with the type of job. Um, our key advantage is really the the fact that we're we're using bikes and we use bikes with people that are all trained to a similar standard and so can cover ground at a fairly consistent rate. Um, 
we know that in the very centre of London, we're about 20% quicker than motor vehicles in terms of average speed. Um, but that doesn't tell you the whole story because that's the that's how fast we're travelling. But actually, our journey distances are less as well because we're using bikes. Uh, we can use cut-throughs. There are r- routes that are two-way or one-way streets. And there are cycle tracks that we can use that allow us to take more direct routes overall. Um, so we're quite... we. That means combined with the fact that it takes a lot less time to park at each pickup or drop, it takes a lot less time to do each job. Um, uh, and so the, the fundamental the fundamentals behind the economics are, are really, really strong. Um, and then we pass those savings back to our customers. So generally what happens is customers come to us in the first place because of the green angle they think, well, let's give you a couple of jobs and then that'll make us look good and we'll benefit from saying that we're doing something that's green. And then and then they say to us, well, hold on a minute. I mean, there was a smiling guy, in a, a guy or a girl in a pink hat that turned up at this job and I'm getting really good feedback from that client. And also it costs about half or two thirds what it would have cost me to use a motor vehicle for. Um, and so they keep on giving us more and more of our, of their available logistics work. And, um, it tends to grow from there. Um, so sorry to be, I'm, I'm a little bit uncertain about how much cheaper we are across the whole piece, but we are substantially cheaper for, for many types of the work that we do. And that, that's a major driver why people, for why people use us. Mm. Um, and you, you were, I remember when there was a beast from the East, that very, very cold, snowy winter and your bikes were still running and you kind of look out there and you think, no, they couldn't, but you did, didn't you? Um, and yeah, that was amazing. And the everyone rising, you, uh, you were the one that picked me and my sister up from Paddington earlier in the year, weren't you? And drove us all the way back to East London. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Um, and your, your training now of your riders, cause one of your founders, Chris Dixon uh, was a cycle trainer before he, before you founded the company together. And he's basically started the training that you do for your riders. And that's now become a city and gills qualification. Cause there wasn't really one before uh, on how to ride a cargo bike. Cause you're pedaling around with like a, a lot of weight basically. And some of your things have got massive trailers on. I don't, if you haven't seen then, um, the, your Instagram feed is really, is really fun. Cause sometimes you've got just gigantic loads. It's, it's quite, quite incredible. Yeah. The, the training is absolutely crucial to how pedal me operates um because it's so important for uh allowing us to make progress across the city so we train people to a very high standard that means that we're communicating really well we're um letting everyone around us know what we're doing when and that means that because we're being courteous to professional road users that they make space for us that they um, you know, create gaps for us where there wouldn't otherwise be gaps. And that allows us to make more progress. But also that because there's a relative a consistency in the way people are moving, then that allows the, um, the journey times to be very consistent. And that means that, um, it's very much easier to get the jobs to line up in a really, really, uh, tight manner. So you're getting really, really efficient use. Um, uh, that there, there is that. There's, there's this kind of interplay within pedal me between like the, the bikes, the maintenance, the training, 
and the culture that allow us to uh, work in the way that we do, that allow us to be way more reliable than anyone else could be, uh, whether using uh, motor vehicles or, or if they're using bikes as well, just because it's there's this whole other side to the business that is what allows us to um, to be so so reliable beyond just the fact that bikes are more consistent. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, that, that training aspect is so, so important to, to everything we do really. Ben, just before you, you, um, kindly came to join us, I was just saying in anticipation of this conversation that I, I, I'm, I'm a partner in a very, very small little cottage industry, a little startup business. Um, and we ship books all across the world and all across the UK. And uh, I did initially sort of try and link you guys in and, and, uh, and the guys I work with found it quite problematic to unpick the contracts that were in place with our dispatchers and our logistics side of it. It's all a bit beyond me. I don't really quite know what we've got in place, but the, I think the suggestion was, how do we separate? We'd love to do it, but how do we separate off our commitments to deliver in London from our existing contract? Do you see what, I, do you see what I'm getting at? Is that, a, is, that a th- is that a thing that you encounter reasonably often, being a sort of regional logistics operator? Yeah, I mean that that is an issue that we do run up against. So people are locked into these kind of uh wider um delivery networks and we haven't worked out our nat- national and international um provisioners yet. Um it's something that we're looking into. There have been a couple of issues because the standards of uh, the standards held within logistics companies are quite various. There are some companies, um, that have quite poor reputations and we'd be reluctant to align ourselves with them. Um, and so that's, that's made us a little bit cautious. And it's just about us finding the, the right partnership to make that national and international, um, offering a, a reality and allow more people to access our services. Um, just, just one, um, just, uh, lastly, cause I think it's important in the cargo bike discussion, but, um, people and, and humans, human transportation, you obviously don't just move stuff. You, you move people as well. What, what percentages the kind of taxi business is how scalable, um, is that obviously people bloody love it and I bloody love it. It's great, great fun. Um, but you know, is that something you do because it's a bit of fun or do you do it? Cause you know, you think human transportation is a serious business opportunity. How, how does that work? That, that side of the business is so potentially powerful. I feel that, um, we haven't quite nailed it yet. So, it's always been the key thing that makes sure that we can enforce really high standards on our riders. It's a really fun part of the job. And so, um, it kind of helps us attract and keep, um, staff that are of a really high standard and help us deliver a much higher level of service to our customers across the piece. Um, because of that, I feel that we've, not quite got all the pieces in place to, to make it work properly. We've got a couple of projects, um, running in the background to improve the weather protection and, um, uh, to help make that, uh, that offer a bit more appealing. But also I think that 
Um, you know, we're a company that's set up to empower change in our cities and we're planning for the cities that we envisage existing in the future, which will be a lot less car dominated. The problem is at the minute that we're competing with the likes of Uber who, you know, don't pay VAT, don't pay PAYE. So that gives them like a 30% uh, cost advantage compared to us. Um, and our, our vision is that that won't be allowed to continue forever that kind that scale of tax evasion but also it's not in the city's interest for motor vehicles to have access to every space in the way that they do at the minute um and we're much better suited for getting into those spaces that should really be uh primarily about retail you know where there's lots of um where there's lots of shops you don't really want motor vehicles in the same space because it makes it an intimidating environment less pleasant you know look you look at shopping malls and and the like they exclude motor vehicles because it makes for a more pleasant shopping experience so we're we're envisaging that in london that a lot of uh the streets that are currently open to motor vehicles will no longer be open to motor vehicles and that will help to make uh to push volume through that side of our business and help us to be to bring that to profitability um for the for the minute it's definitely true that the the cargo side of the business is more financially viable than the the passenger side but you know it's just it's so important for for who we are as a company and for the future that we we're hoping to create well, it's nice to it's nice to have so much positivity um, as we approach the turn of the year and we say goodbye to uh, twenty twenty, which I think we can all agree has been a fabulous triumph of a year <laughs> in every in every sense. Um, yeah. it's, really, it's really nice to hear your optimism, and it's really nice, I have to say, as a Londoner, uh, Ben, to see your pink um, bikes out and about in increasing numbers in the streets, and it gives me heart every time I see it. So, all all power to your your pedals, mate. Well, um, that was all good stuff, wasn't it? What do we make of that? Any, yeah. Yeah. What do we make of that, Laura? Yeah, very positive. Um, yeah, I've known Pedal, Pedal Me for uh, for a few years and Ben's uh, taxied me around various places and demonstrated how good the brakes are on their on their cargo bikes. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely a fan. So uh, it does seem, yeah, it does seem to have been a year for cargo bikes, which is, which is very positive. And uh, yeah. And I think that people are starting to wake up to the potential benefits and yeah, all the good stuff that they can bring. I completely agree. I, I don't think they, they weren't really on my radar at all before this year. Mm. And, um, you know, yeah, I, oh, really? kind of, I knew yeah. about them in theory, but I'd never really considered them in practice or seen them much. And I think everything's changed next year. I think it's a bit yeah. of paradigm shift this year. Definitely. When, when I went to, um, Waltham forest, I think it was earlier this year before, before the first lockdown. Um, it's actually amazing to see, the you know the more the more infrastructure you build or the more hospitable you make the streets you just I've never seen so many cargo bikes in one place I'd yeah you know I I I probably went I went for like a, an hour ride just around all the batteries I probably saw like eight or nine and that's just people have them parked outside their houses as well and then you go to the station the, the train station um, and they've in their bike parking they've got dedicated spots for cargo bikes oh, they? Um, I didn't know there, that, yeah yeah in the in the kind of secure bike parking as is the popularity of them and i i believe i don't think it's running at the moment but you know there, there are schemes where 
you can through the councils you can you can hire or borrow one of these mm-hmm. um for a couple of months to see if you like it and i think that's yeah. you know it's a great use of 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 resource to um yeah. to to get people hooked on 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 what's quite an addictive mode of transport once you start doing it yeah and for businesses to try too i think laura i know that you've got well, got another guest but you've um you've recorded an interview a, a, a yeah, little while ago with, um, with someone else who matters in this game. I did. Yeah. So I spoke to Jim Blakemore at uh, Bikeworks in East London, as we mentioned earlier. Um, they've actually got quite a remarkable story. So until March, they were doing cycle training and all ability cycle sessions in East London. And then lockdown happened. And over about three or four days, they had a couple of hand-me-down cargo cycles that, that had been impounded and given to them. And uh, they fixed those up and started providing an emergency COVID distribution service delivering food parcels and all sorts to people who are shielding vulnerable people and uh, also collecting tests for Imperial. And um, yeah, Jim Jim sort of talked to me about what they were doing and potential for cargo bikes going forward. And um, you do, um, you were telling me that you, you help people learn how to build bikes and you do cycle training and it's kind of educa- education training into work kind of stuff. Yep. So we've got two training centres where we provide um, either accredited sitting guilds or non-accredited maintenance classes through to um, employability programmes, through to cycle instructor training and cargo bike training, beginners and intermediate maintenance classes. So, yeah, we do lots and lots of things uh, in this in the in our two training centres. Wow, that's a lot. And then, and then you were saying to me that uh, during COVID, everything just changed for you. So you're doing all this stuff already, and then COVID came along, and everything kind of shut down. But you found a new purpose in your in your business since then, haven't you? Yeah. So, so ironically, we were about to launch a social social isolation project, uh, which we'd fundraised for just before lockdown. And um, we realised we couldn't do that because it was going to be engaging with lots of people who were shielding. So we we approached all the stakeholders and we became a, a, um, a cycling courier company overnight in three days. And over the course of uh, April, May and June, we delivered about 16,000 items and we've continued to work with um the NHS in East London. We're just now doing a large program for Imperial College London, which is a COVID research project, um, and it's now become a, 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 a probably an ongoing revenue stream. I think for, for us, which is needed because we've we've lost half of our income through um, through our cycle training contracts and so on. So uh, yeah, it's sort of right time, right time, and um, right time to repurpose. Yeah. And obviously you had the um, equipment to do that because I saw Michael Barrett who works for Transport for London. It's a small world in East London. I was just riding, yep. to, I think I was going to the supermarket and I saw him and we sort of pedaled along for a bit and he was doing deliveries for you on this long blue cargo bike that kind of with two wheels and then a big sort of well in the middle that yep. you um, you put stuff into and he was delivering stuff to people I think who were shielding. Yeah, so we were, we, we were supporting a... Um, a primary school that bizarrely had two chefs from a five-star hotel 
creating food for people in the community in um, in Tower Hamlets. Um, it was from, from a hotel that had closed due to COVID. Oh, wow. um, I can't remember and they were using the school for the kitchen yeah. to yeah. get food for people in the community. Yeah, and then delivering uh, hot meals and sort of food bank bags as well. So, wow. uh, so yeah, it was, a, it was a bizarre time, the first lockdown. We were even delivering shoes, brand new shoes to people, which which was slightly odd. But, um, people on low income? Yeah. Who- People on low incomes. We did a lot of work with the Somali community in Tower Hamlets. And, you know, we even escalated people going to hospital because social services had almost sort of, you know, disappeared. So, you know, we almost became a sort of first response, um, you know, to actually help community health and well-being, as well as delivering practical items to people. Um, yeah, it was very, very strange, but, but you know, really, really proud of what we were able to achieve. How did that come about? How did you end up doing this stuff? Why did you get the cargo bike from? Because none of the stuff that we talked about before involves cargo bikes. So uh, literally a week before lockdown, I was given three non-electric cargo bikes that that were in complete disarray that had been impounded by a local authority and they gave them to me. I quickly fixed them all up. Um, and then I bought another one during lockdown and we had a couple, but, but I guess the reason we were able to sort of be activated so quickly is because, you know, we are a community organization and our, uh, our business as usual work means that we do a lot of work with housing associations, a lot of work with GP surgeries, um, and and actually we knew that that would be where the community need was going to be. Yeah. And rather than us sort of putting flyers out saying, we're here to help, we can go and get your shopping. We just went to the organisations that would would be able to know their beneficiary group first yeah. and just say, yeah, fine, talk to this person. You know, we went and talked to a church. They were organising a food bank. Okay, well, we'll send a person down every day to go and deliver uh, uh, food, food parcels. Mm. Um, we had connections in the GP Federation and the sort of CCGs. And we said, you know, we know that people who are shielding won't be able to get their prescriptions. So how can we, how can we help deliver prescriptions? And very quickly, we just got, um, you know, introduced to the right people. Um, I mean, it was, it was sort of unheard of that within a five day period, we could start working with the NHS. But it was because I guess just the need, the need and the speed within which it was required just meant that, yeah, we're an organisation. All of our riders are DBS. They're all first day trained, so we had we had sort of, you know, a good history in terms of mm-hmm. being able to deliver. And our riders, you know, weren't just random people. They were, uh, you know, random volunteers. They were actually professionals. Oh. So I think that helped. Yeah, and you you've been used to working with people who are vulnerable, people on low incomes, people who are having a hard time in life. And so yeah. I guess you you could kind of foresee the need having worked with all these organisations. And then, like you say, you had the right people um, in, in the right yep. place to be able to do this. So um, what's the project with Imperial? So that is a project where we are um, we are basically collecting swabs and um, and then taking them up to Public Health England for analysis. So that's anywhere in the anywhere in the in, inside the M25. Oh, wow. uh, yep. Yep. Yeah. And so we've got currently about 10 riders, no, 10, 10 to 15 riders, sometimes pedaling 70 miles a day. Uh, and by the end of the project, we should have engaged, uh, collected about 19,000 
items, I think. So it's a big, big project. And um, again, one that we're really proud to be supporting because Imperial is sort of leading the way with a lot of the uh, the science behind yeah. the, the second wave. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a good project. That's quite a serious thing, isn't it? I remember um, I had a test a few, well, I think it was back in May, uh, and uh, and I was really surprised that it, Amazon, it was an Amazon um, delivery. It came in an Amazon parcel right. with a little smiley Amazon face on it. And then you kind of do the test and send it back. And it's, it's really strange that these kind of companies are uh, picking up what are like biohazards, basically, and delivering them around yeah. London. But I guess, and, and yeah, I, and I, I mean, I guess, you know, what, what has, what has transpired in COVID is logistics, logistic companies are, are a, internet and logistic companies are, are, are a complete need when yeah. people can't move about. Yeah. But clearly as a cycling organization, we would prefer to be trying to distribute as much stuff via bike, mm. um, and even e-bikes, you know, uh, yeah. you know, they, they serve that purpose. So, um, um, so yeah, strange, strange, but, 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 but very useful and productive. And what are people's reactions? You're turning up to all sorts of different people's doorsteps, people who are shielding, people who are um, already perhaps already having a hard time in life mm. and then COVID's just made it so much worse. People from all kind of um, a big sort of spectrum of society, I guess. What's the reaction from people when you turn up with a bike delivering stuff that would potentially, I guess, normally uh, be delivered by van or in people's perceptions normally be delivered by van? Um, so I mean, well, two, one one uh, one one scenario was a, a gentleman uh, who we were delivering hot meals to every day, and we were he was clearly he was clearly had mobility issues. But my rider sort of would feedback saying, "Look, I'm having to post this meal through his bathroom door," and he was from the Somali community, so there was an element of language um, uh, barriers, but clearly, you know. We, 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 you know, regardless of language, you know, we, we can pick up on on issues. And you know, after two days, he the guy wasn't coming to the door. He hasn't hadn't collected his meal. He could he could just sense that the guy was not moving around. So we reported that back to the charity that we were working with. They escalated it with the social services. Nothing happened. Two days later. You know, he's still communicating with my rider, and this time my rider is saying, "Look, this guy is not moving. There's a there's a smell coming from the house. You know, clearly, you know, there are, it's a it's a problem." And you know, we escalated that, and and um, he was hospitalised within hours. And and I don't know what the outcome was, but you know, statutory services were falling apart. But our riders, who were performing a you know, just performing a, a, a community service, went above and beyond to actually then escalate that yeah. through to. You know, people who who were just happy to see you, you know, and and you know, you couldn't have too long a conversation with someone because you had to get on to the next yeah. drop. But you know, I remember I was delivering stuff, and you know, you could just you know, you just people smiled at you, and you know, you were giving them food, and you were the only person that they saw on a daily basis. Um, and then the flip side of that is the medical stuff we're doing, and you know, you've got people who are scared, and we're dropping off blood pressure and oxygen level kits. Mm. You know, and we have to do it within a specific time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, one, because you know the GPs need to monitor people, um, but two, you know those people are, are worried and scared. So, you know, I mean, it's, as a social enterprise and as a community organisation, you know, we are all about people mm-hmm. and helping people, regardless of what it is. And normally, business as usual, it's getting people to ride a bike, yeah. for example, or it's helping someone into work. Mm-hmm. In times of COVID, it's you know, it, it's delivering food or delivering a prescription. But ultimately, you know, 
it's still a human contact and, and, and that's, you know, super important. And then, you know, we're now starting a cycling for health program that is directly um, commissioned to work off the relationships of people we've engaged with during COVID. So for me, that's really exciting because you'll have people who potentially um, would have had a barrier to physical exercise potentially. And we've actually, you know, we've, we've made that bridge and so we can, you know, if someone who you'd seen on a weekly basis for eight weeks delivering food actually then said, you know what, we've now got this program that's, you know, it's not it's not a gym prescription. It's about just getting someone on a bike and, you know, getting someone cycling in the park. You know, that is, is a really exciting proposition because it's it's doing something slightly differently off the back of, you know, something as bizarre as COVID. But it, it, I think the opportunities are quite, quite big. Well, um, that's another remarkable story. And cargo bikes, it strikes me, are a remarkable thing that we're going to see a lot more of. Yeah. I think that's the obvious conclusion, isn't it? Like we might, yeah. we might, we might wring our hands a little bit about general commuting and utilitarian cycling, and it's brought, you know mm. worry whether or not we've kind of hit a glass ceiling and what the curve might look like in a few years. But mm. I feel much more kind of secure in the belief that we've only just started to see what cargo bikes can do. And, and I, I, yeah. I just think it's going to make, you know, it's going to be that the thing that's going to get it over the line is the economic sense that it makes clearly. Um, and I, and I, yeah. I think that's a very it's compelling a argument. Thing. Yeah, very compelling. And even before COVID, the World Economic Forum were predicting huge amounts of um, cargo bike increases. They reckon 36% increase in the top 100 global cities uh, until 2030. And I think car- I think COVID has excel- just accelerated that, as we said. So, um, yeah, I think uh, people who've worked with uh, companies who are taking on cargo bikes have said that uh, Dan from Fully Charged in London told me that for fleet managers, e-cargo bikes are not any better for business in terms of financial savings um, and running costs, but uh, that you can deliver more frequently than vans. They're also better for employee mental health and physical health, he reckons, and the environment. And of course, there's um, rising fuel costs and things like low emission zone, which make them even more attractive to businesses. So, The great one that I've seen is, um, uh, is in the construction industry, as, as I mentioned briefly, um, because I think cargo bikes as well are really important for the image of cycling and, and, and cycling being seen as an important and viable transport mode. Absolutely, People yeah. assume that like, yeah, yeah like they seem that if you've got a va- van, you know, that is the lifeblood of our economy. And if we don't have those things, but you know, a lot of the stuff in construction, for example, basically what was happening is big seven and a half truck, ton trucks, or even just transit vans were being used to carry a bit of pipe or a bit of wood that's been cut to size uh, or something like, like that. And, um, rally have been, um, have been, uh, selling cargo bikes or loaning cargo bikes to construction firms like Conway and, and they've been starting to use them for those jobs so that you can start to take that traffic off the road. And I think it's really important that we do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of the things that bike works are doing is, um, Jim was talking about and pedal me are involved in some stuff like that. And it really seems to be ramping up. So for those little, little jobs. All right. Well, what are we going to talk about next time? Have we got any options? Have we any, 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 anything in the pipeline? Adam, you, you always drive the agenda on with this. You're the boss in many ways. What are we going to talk about? <laughs> well, I think, uh, I, I can trail that in the, in the near future where we're arranging a, um, 
uh, a kind of collaboration with uh, with a podcast in the US called The War on Cars. Many of our listeners probably already subscribe to that. Um, and I think we'll be looking at the differences between uh, the UK and the US and how we're how we're doing um, in terms of getting more people on bikes and how how London and New York uh, especially compare. So I think that will be that be interesting. Um, I um, I would like to um, uh, I would like to well I'd like to get feedback actually. Wouldn't it? it would be nice if we um, uh, if we we had some suggestions. So if there's anything that you you would like us to talk about, listeners, then please um, please tweet us. Uh, we're at Pod Streets Ahead, um, and uh, you know, message us how, via email. You can do all, all sorts of stuff. We can't really actually; they're the only two options. But <laughs> <laughs> carrier pigeon, yeah, yeah, cargo bike, exactly. All right. Well, um, that's it. You've been listening to Streets Ahead. Let us know what you think. As Adam just said, it's uh, at Pod Streets Ahead. Rate, review us, and share the podcast with your friends, foes, and family. Um, and finally, wherever you're listening, it says here in the script, and it's true, it's true. <laughs> wherever you're listening, we appreciate you. Catch you next time. Bye bye from me. Bye from me. Bye from me. And that worked like a dream. <laughs> 